Hey, what's up everyone? This is Dr. Anur Singh. I'm a physical therapist, yoga teacher, and movement practitioner. And you are listening to Movement with Noor. Welcome to another episode of Movement with Noor, where we have the chance to have practitioners and scholars talk on the topic of movement. Today we have Dr. Marquise Sanabrice, a clinician, coach, and trainer. Dr. Marquise has his doctorate in physical therapy with a bachelor's in exercise science and is also a USA weightlifting level one coach certified personal trainer. Uh, Very cold shower. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, Marquise, it's really great to have you on, man. And uh, I feel excited for a lot of reasons. One is some of the topics we're going to cover today, um, as well as just like you're somebody that I like really admire from a lot of angles, like when it comes to working with you at FX, you're always presenting a lot of research, pushing people to um, be research heavy in their uh, approach to PT. And uh, yeah, man, uh, Dr. Marquise is a title that's really worth stating here. Um, dude, why don't we just start off with a little bit about like, what is it that excites you about PT? What brings you on today? Okay. Um... So I, I, I guess to like kind of start, I think it's just like a mindset, um, just being excited about not only PT, but like about life in general um, and having just a like cup half a half full mentality. Um, and I think I like to try and bring that with me um, just kind of in physical therapy practice, just staying curious, uh, listening to people around me um, and trying to find the things that kind of call you, you know. Um, whether it's like a different setting or even a place like Baltimore, um, since I'm originally from, from Chicago, uh, I think it's just like finding what kind of makes you happy. Um, I think we both moved to Baltimore around the same time. Like how long have you been here? I've been here coming up on two years now um, in February. Yeah. I think I just passed my two year anniversary in Baltimore. Well, how's it been? Have you been enjoying yeah, yeah, honestly. Um, I couldn't have honestly asked for a better transition. Um, I, I, I kind of originally came here to for a, for a like learning and like growth opportunity. Um, I came here for a mentorship opportunity that eventually segued me to find FX. Um, and I kind of found what I was looking for. Um, so it's, it's, it's been a really awesome growth opportunity and experience. And like, I couldn't have imagined just like growing more over these past two years. Uh, it's, a, it's a really fun kind of experience to look back on and there's still so much to do. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I can definitely say a lot of similar things about that. I feel like um, when I think of some of the stuff you're talking about with growth and mentorship, that's like a big thing you do when it comes to PT. Like I yeah. feel like people who show up to PT, there are people who like show up it's their job, it's their career, and then there are people who like really stand up for the profession. And I feel like you're so PT forward in a lot of ways. Like you're constantly doing research, you're showing people how to do research. Are you are you mentoring some of the new grads as well? Yeah. Um, so I kind of am in charge of our mentorship program at FX, which is still like crazy to me that I just went through the process myself and now I'm the one kind of leading it. Um, and it's, I think it's just, it's, it's a really cool opportunity um, that it's, it's, it's fun to be able to kind of like, not only, only like inspire, but also like change the game and like how we move the profession forward. 
um, how we move the way that we think, um, move the way that we kind of like have a high quality practice um, and just really just like thinking differently and trying to always answer like why we're doing something um, and not just like what we're doing, but what's some of the like why behind it. Um, that always excites me. Uh, and we'll, we'll kind of dive into this later, but I tend to really like find fascination in topics that are a little bit more detail oriented. And I don't know if that's just a personality trait, <laughs> um, but I like I like the detail. Um, I like some of the nitty gritty and getting into into some of the kind of why behind things. Yeah. Um, just to give some background, FX is the company that both me and Marquise work for. Uh, it's a stellar space where we get to do one on one treatment and uh, something that we both really appreciate as PTs. I don't know if you've ever done not one on one treatment. Oh, yeah, I've not done one on one treatment. <laughs> Pretty much if anybody out there is looking for a physical therapy, I really hope you get the chance to have one-on-one -on -one treatment because uh, both Marquise and I, sounds like we both have had some experiences where we worked in other companies. And for me, I worked at another company where I was seeing three to four patients at the same time. And it is a different level of care you can offer because I'm literally teaching this person how to squat and I'm running next to the next person trying to stretch their shoulder run to the next person move their ankle a little bit and um, it's it's really beautiful in some some small ways like my, all my patients became friends and like you know there's elderly people that are yeah. looking for an outing so I saw that aspect as a positive yeah but obviously the cons are there and yeah I think uh I think the writing was on the wall when uh, there was there was kind of one night when uh, and I was a brand new new grad uh, and it was me and a tech um, in a PT facility. I won't name any any names, um, but there was a time where there was six patients, myself and a tech. Yeah. And uh, if 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 you've ever had to treat six patients at one time, it is it is not fun. Yeah, um, you're running here, running there. The the quality that of care that you're providing is very low, um, and there's there's this one saying that um, I got. There was this one presentation that we got when I was in grad school. Um, I think her name was Meg Gaines from the University of of Wisconsin, and she's like, you always got to put your own mask on first. And when when you kind of get to those times where you don't have time to put your own mask on first. Um, because you're caring for others and you're kind of giving what you don't have, um, that's tough. That's 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 certainly tough. Um, and I think there's a lot to be said to be able to treat one on one. I think you have a lot of opportunity for improving the quality of person that you are and the care that you're kind of giving. Um, and so I, I think like you can grow just tremendously um, in treating one on one and taking your time to really think and process through through things. Yeah. I often tell people when you're finding a PT, it's a lot like dating. Like you just have to find the right PT for you because PT is a really broad space. There are those that like one, we're talking about models of PT. Like, are you going to get one-on-one -on -one care? And even if you get to the one-on-one -on -one care, finding the right provider in any aspect, whether it's a physician, a physiotherapist, so on and so forth, is going to be really focused on like, do our personalities mesh? And yeah. The research also backs that like if you Absolutely. can find personalities that mesh you're gonna actually have better outcomes in a lot of different ways absolutely yeah if that's that's that whole like like just like the like therapeutic alliance 
that's a lot of that like Peter O'Sullivan talk is and some of the like Adrian Adrian Lau where it's like if you can connect well with your provider you will do well and that even plays across like what what type of ethnicity that you are so like mm. we'll see especially like in the past three years there's been some more research that kind of came out where it's like if you have are potentially the same ethnicity as your provider you may have better outcomes and it's like just how you see someone being more like yourself that can lead you to be healthier and to get better and that that's just crazy to me because there's so much behind that like psychosocial component that just goes into it um yeah yeah so uh, with regards to uh what you're talking about with the biopsychosocial model uh, i tell a lot of people that that's like a big thing right now in pt where before we started off in this pathoanatomical model mm -hmm. a lot of things were focused on if you have pain here you're going to be uh experiencing pain here because of the anatomy like your rotator cuff has something going on there and that's kind of how pt used to be yeah and now there's this big transition of incorporating well, you might have pain in your shoulder, but let's also talk about some of the psychology behind pain. Let's talk about some of the social influences. Uh, you brought up ethnicity, like that can also, not necessarily ethnicity, but cultural upbringing has a big uh, role on pain. Yeah. Um, that's one of the topics, honestly, I wanted to dive in with you and sure. we're kind of just segueing into it naturally. Yeah. What, why don't you just tell me a little bit about like, what is your experience? There's this whole hot topic, pain science, pain education in PT, uh, where we're helping patients rewire their relationship with pain. Um, what's What's been your experiences with that? And maybe we can start off with like, how do you define pain? And then we can maybe just bridge some more concepts into that. Absolutely. Um, I probably won't give the best definition, but I'll definitely paraphrase pain. Um, pain is an experience. Um, and sometimes pain is not just an input, but it's the output. Um, from our central nervous system um, that is experienced by an individual. Um, and so I always tell people that like pain is always real because um, it's your experience. Mm -hmm. um, whether it's nocebic, meaning like in from one of your receptors or whether it's like neuropathic, one of your nervous system, your nervous system is going a little hay haywire, whether it's like a central or a peripheral um, kind of nerve or it's potentially central. Um, something affecting some of the some of the central nervous system, and sometimes it's not just one, but it's it's a whole triage in there. Like it's a different bucket or a different percentage in some of those buckets. Um, and so pain pain is always very fascinating, but I think I'm getting better now at learning when and when not to use pain science. And mm. I think that is very difficult um, initially because we when we get education, that's part of that like recency bias where it's like we get education on something, I want to go use it. Mm -hmm. Because I just got, I just went to this weekend course and I learned a ton about pain neuroscience. And I learned a ton about how to treat an injured athlete. And I'm going to use it on Mrs. Smith or I'm going to use it on Weekend Warrior Wendy. And it's like knowing when and when not to use some of that like pain neuroscience, I think is what I'm trying to get better at right now. Um, because I, there was an awesome article that we just went over in the uh, Baltimore Journal Club and 2019 JLSBT article that was like, when chronic pain is not chronic pain. Mm. Um, and it was, it was this, this, I think it was this 50 year old man um, who had 30 years worth of pain. And every decade, he got a new model thrown at him. So when it was the old kinesiopathological model, people were saying, 
oh, you just have a a a, a C L four segment that is anteriorly rotated, or you have an a, a, like a nominate this way, and so then the model changed, and the model changed to the next one, and then the next one, and the most recent one was the was the pain neuroscience one, where oh, we're we're gonna treat this guy. I think that your back pain is actually not coming from somewhere anatomic or mechanical, but it's coming more from a central region. And they called it like this kick and rush, which in, in, in soccer, which we just played soccer outside for like five minutes for anyone who's kind of listening. Yeah. Um, there's a kick and rush game in, in soccer when, when if these really young kids, and this happens in like, like very young elementary school basketball where someone gets the ball and everyone rushes it. And so there's big trends in our industry where we all really love something and we learn it and so we rush to it. And that's what we think that that source is. But that may not actually be what that patient source is. That's just your own bias. And everyone comes in with their own bias, whether we know it or not. Um, And that's why I think when we start to understand our own biases, even if pain neuroscience is what I like, if sports rehab is what I like, if manual therapy is what I like. Um, understanding that you have your own preconceived biases, but knowing when and when not to use it on the right person, I think is the most difficult p- part of that. Um, and that's what I'm trying to get better at right now. Um, sorry, I, I don't know if I completely answered yeah, your question. No, there. no, there was a lot said there and I kind of want to like dial into each one and maybe like give a little uh, blurb on it. So the first thing you were talking about was just the definition of pain, that it's an experience and because of that, it's always true. Somebody who's experiencing pain, we want to validate it, uh, not only as providers, but even as an individual to themselves, yeah. saying like, hey, like I'm experiencing pain, I, nothing should diminish that uh, experience. And so that's uh, one of the things you said, and then you talked about, so what is the pain coming from? Is it actually coming from a mechanical issue, or is it coming from the nervous system freaking out? Mm-hmm. And I think the nervous system freaking out is uh, something that we as PTs are becoming more educated on, but just to give a little blurb for other people that uh, are new to like how to interpret pain in their body, sometimes you can have an experience where you have tissue damage and the tissue damage heals, but you're still having pain. And it's because your nervous system has adapted to create pain signals from that area. And and does that sound like a pretty decent summary? Yeah. Yeah, so with that, you were saying how like, this is a great model, it offers so much relief because it lets people realize like, hey, not everything about my pain is mechanically related. Sometimes my pain can be actually coming from my nervous system and me slowly moving my body and re-educating it can decrease my nervous system's uh, fear of uh, pain and it'll start dampening that signal and I don't have to be afraid of every single signal that comes up as did I have mechanical damage yeah Uh, and then I mean like this is where it was I find this podcast so exciting because I learned a lot where you brought in a new point which is like this is all great information yet we still sometimes run with it too quickly it's like like you have that (laughs) mind-blowing seminar over the weekend you're like oh my god you're right like Pain has psychological components. We don't have to keep looking at the shoulder. And then uh, you're all of a sudden telling every single person, oh, like, it's all psychology. And the person, like, the person's in a slig after (laughs) a surgery. uh, And you're like, hey. I just had surgery, man. (laughs) I'm pretty sure there's some mechanical damage there. No, no, no. It's just your nervous system freaking out. And that's funny because I didn't even realize sometimes I am 
quick to add in pain science education. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's one of those things where learning the right moment and the right time and how much of the bucket is needed for that is, is really worthwhile. Yeah. One, one thing that like you kind of brought up is like when, and one thing that that kind of reminded me of is like how much our words matter. Mm. Um, so that's where it's like, sometimes it's more of a psychological game. It's mm. like, how should I paraphrase something to this person in front of me to where I will make them strong and robust and confident, but I'm educating them enough about their condition, but not giving too much education to where now they think that there's something wrong with them. Right. And I think that's a difficult art to kind of master. Mm. It's And I think Greg Lehman, I, I attended one of one of Greg, Greg Lehman's courses um, last year, and it was... the he was a lot on like what do patients need to know about pain neuroscience and how much is too much information mm-hmm. um because there can definitely be an over education with like some of this stuff and i feel like that just comes with time and knowing what kind of patients should and should not receive too much information um and that's a that's a tricky one that's yeah a tricky one That's kind of also the whole point of pain science, not the whole point, sorry, let me rephrase. A big part of pain science is that uh, learning when to educate in general, even about anatomy. Like, uh, do you want to use the word uh, like herniated disc? (laughs) Uh, And like, and that that's worthwhile yeah. asking because I still sometimes use that word and it's yeah. pretty rare. Like I don't, yeah. I don't start with that word, but if they use the word and it's now in the playing field, they're like, I have this MRI that says mm-hmm. this one. I have to like reeducate, like, Hey, we don't have to make this a big deal. But then two, if the, the presentation is following that, like where they're having radiculopathy down the leg because of a disc, uh, meaning like numbness down the leg because of a disc bulge, yep. then that, like, that becomes part of the conversation and playing field. So right. yeah, I guess um, what, what I'm hearing you say overall is that like there's a time and place to find out how much to educate uh, from both ends. Absolutely, and I think that that, that just goes for like, like physical therapy's sake, like that just goes for even your like treatments. Like the right treatment, the right patient, the right time. Um, that's just like you, all those stars have to align, and like that's part of the like clinical like kind of decision making piece that you get better at with reps, but also taking your time mm-hmm. and like having the time, which is why one on one treatment I think is awesome um, to kind of segue back to that. But um, yeah, informing yourself on what this stuff is, why it happens, and then how and when to use it, and how and when not to use it, and that's how I I since starting the like Baltimore Journal Club, um, which that inspiration came from J.W. Matheson, who um, is in Hudson, Wisconsin right now. Um, he does the like PT Inquest podcast with Eric, Eric, Eric Mira. Um, but like how not to use, use research too. So like, it's not only like, okay, yeah, there's this brand new hot paper that just came off of the press and I'm going to use it in my clinical practice but also knowing when not to use that or when it's not enough information, when something is a bad article or like just what treatment to not use on someone. I think that's what I'm trying to get better at now too, is like knowing when not to do something, not only like having a lot of tools in your bucket, but knowing which tools to specifically use, you know? Yeah. Um, 
And I'll tell you, when I was treating four patients at a time, these conversations weren't in my head. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> There's no way I was trying to dial in how, what kind of phrasing I do I use with this pain. I was trying to get my notes done. <laughs> I was trying to get the insurance companies off my back. Yeah, um, yeah and so with, uh, and just one thing on the one-on-one care, I, yeah. Sean, when I first started, he was one of my mentors, and he said, uh, like, welcome to one-on-one care this is when you're going to have time to actually become a good PT. <laughs> and I was like, nice, I, yeah, it was great because that's what's been happening the past year where I'm actually with the 45 minutes I have with a patient, not trying to survive, but trying to make the best clinical decision in their favor, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of circling back to all these different understandings. Um, what goes on then as far as like, I know it depends on the patient, um, but maybe like just like as an understanding, if somebody's coming in with pain, like, or somebody's just experiencing some discomfort right now in their body, how do you help bridge the conversation of how much of this is psychological, how much of this is social, how much of this is mechanical, like that psychosocial model, biopsychosocial model? That's a wonderful question. Um, I think, like, first off and foremost, it's it's kind of like reading that person, where like there's a huge like psychology piece behind it. But like what words they use, in what state that they're in, what kind of, what like sort of affect do they have? Like are they coming to me and they're very hot and frustrated um, or are they coming to me and they're, they're like very poised and they're telling me, yeah, I have 10 out of 10 pain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh really <laughs> um you seem pretty pretty damn calm about it yeah um so like i, I feel like part of it is just reading someone um mm-hmm. which is which is hard uh but that's 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 our job is that we have a very humanistic job like we are working with humans every single day and like that's some of that reading piece but besides some of that um things things that that kind of like stand stand out to me is like where that pain may be so if it's in potentially like shoulder or low back i'm gonna i'm gonna consider it more um or if it's if it's a injury that's that's more low grade um like you know i have a it's like a one or two and it's just always always constantly there um i'm thinking oh potentially that's a c a c pain fiber which is a chronic pain fiber Mm. um but if it's if it seems mechanical like I move my arm and it hurts every single time that I move or when I lift something and it seems like there's maybe a force or a torque or something mechanical in nature about it, um, that's when I'll dive into it and think, okay, maybe this is more in the uh, nocebic um, bucket to where on the contrary, when it's like it's low grade, doesn't change at all. Um, And then I hear maybe that they're stressed. Um, My car just died um my mom just passed away or they had a huge traumatic life change i'm thinking okay is there something potentially else that's going on in the bio in that psychosocial model um it's not just not just bio um mm-hmm. that's where i kind of ask and then that's where it's like yellow flag yellow flag screening is huge where it's like i think most people aren't comfortable asking someone hey are do you have any history of depression or anxiety Okay. Are you seeing anyone for that? I feel like so many people in our industry are scared to ask some of those questions, but they're so crucial, um, especially in some of that chronic, chronic pain realm. Yeah. Yeah. I love what you said about our job being very humanistic and how we have to be involved. Um, 
like with the human. I think um, some of the things that are also important to say is it's not our job to be psychologists. However, it's nice to be psychologically informed. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. I, f- I feel like the more I'm treating, I'm knowing when I'm not always their their answer. Yeah. <laughs> like, but maybe I'm not your answer, but I can get you to someone who will be your answer. Uh-huh. And so it's like knowing that I'm not Superman and I have all these flashy capes <laughs> hanging yeah. on me. Um, but knowing how I can make myself a piece in that person's story uh-huh. um, of them getting better and how I cannot make myself part of their story in debilitating chronic pain yeah. um, by by over potentially explaining painful or mechanical factors or something like that. Yeah. yeah with regards to um, that question of depression, anxiety and yeah. so on, like these mental conditions that like aren't being screened as often in PT. I, uh, what was nice was in um, one of my old clinics that when I was doing rotations, uh, my mentor would always have a mini psych component in her uh, outtake form mm-hmm. or intake form. So as soon as somebody comes in, there's just like like a couple of questions about anxiety, depression, how often do you experience this? And it blew my mind when we had those forms because I would see somebody so calm, cool, collected, and then I would read the form, and they would be so honest about how much anxiety they suffer on the daily. And these are things that you actually won't notice Mm -hmm. unless you ask about it. Um, I want to talk about practicality, what you're up to, and then I want to talk about theoretically. So practically, do you get the chance to uh, refer out to uh, psychologists as a PT uh, in this moment? And then theoretically, do you ever see models in which these components could be brought more intimately together? Like where there's like a psychologist right next door and you guys get to have like treatment sessions back to back. I think these are the things that excite people when they think of holistic care and or there's another word, uh, trans transprofessional, like interprofessional care. Um, So, yeah, I guess I'm just wondering. Practically, what are you up to? And then, like, if, if you could de- devise a system, what comes to mind? Absolutely. Um, so, yes, I do refer people um, who need to see a mental or behavioral health care provider. Um, and just like you were talking about earlier, I always give them options. Um, I'm like, hey, this one's more of an interventional person. This one's more about, like, cognition and behavior. Um, but I, I, I want you to go through some of them. Because then you're you're putting some of that locus of control back onto them to where they have control of some of their care. And back to that point to where we connect with our healthcare providers and get better outcomes with people that we have a better therapeutic alliance or like connection with. And I, I kind of let them choose like, hey, here, here are some options. Which one do you feel like you most connect with? Or which one do, do you like the most? And so like I'll, I like to like give them a little list of some of the best ones around here. Um, and then some of that, like, I think you're kind of describing that, like, multidisciplinary care model. Um, yeah, having, having like, anything from, like, and so I'm in more of a sports medicine setting. Um, but having, ha- having like, a, a sports, um, and there, like, used to be some, but, like, a, like sports psychologist um, or anyone who, like, deals with pain. Um, or we have some dietitians on staff, but, like, diet, of course, is one. Um, and then even even things that are like stress reduction would be awesome. Um, things like, you know, mindfulness, yog- yogic practice, um, all that stuff to where it's like we're not only getting our part 
but we're involving as many providers as we can to make the biggest impact. Um, mm. I think that that is something that like doesn't get done, and it's a lot of individual pieces working by themselves. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think like just trying to get the most providers, at least in the like chronic pain realm, is definitely definitely helpful. Having a team. Having a team. Yeah, yeah. you're always strong with the team, right? I talk about that uh, whenever I hear any of my even friends like they'll like uh, like if somebody has like a chronic uh, disease in my friend group like the first thing I'm asking is do, do you have a team that's supporting you through yeah. this like how much is your physician involved because I, I feel like those are the things that let a person feel cared for and like that they have options and multiple perspectives absolutely um I want to talk a little bit more just about uh what you were saying in this model what what do you see like as far as like you you talked about multiple cares i mean multiple people in it like how could you see a session going if you had more mm. like perspective on some of the mental health like like how would you how would that change your treatment strategy for the day like let's say hypothetically you get the chance that they're now going to a cognitive behavioral therapist yeah. and you guys are now in this interprofessional model where you're getting their notes they're getting your notes yeah what are some of the things that you would uh really appreciate being informed on and how would that affect your treatment um for the day i'll give i'll give an example with this cup that i have here yeah um greg layman peter o'sullivan always talk about this cup analogy um and that when we have too many stressors that are in our cup, we overflow. Yeah. Um, and that's in the pain realm, too. Yeah. When we have, you know, our dog died, my car won't start today. Um, I didn't have deodorant this morning. That's probably not a huge stressor, but maybe for some people it is. Uh -huh. um, then your cup's overflowing. You have pain everywhere. So being able to kind of, I would love if I could consult with someone that, hey, their cup's sitting at around 75% right now. If you were planning on loading them pretty heavy today, that stressor may be too much for them. Um, but then again, hey, they're, they're sitting at 25% cup, cup full. We have a lot of room here to we can build a robust system. Um, let's get them independent. Let's get them moving more. Let's get them loaded so that they feel confident that they don't have any fear with some of that movement. Um, I think that would be awesome. Um, I don't know. What do you do? Yeah, I love what you just said. So what you said was uh, a really great understanding of how uh, your physical training can be impacted by stressors in your day to day. Yeah, I think um, so. There's this one paper. I mean, like to brush my shoulders a little bit that I wrote on uh, <laughs> yeah on stress <laughs> and its impact on physical injury. And nice. so I did a meta analysis on it. Oof, um, those are tough. You should uh, put it up in the journal club, bro. Hey man, I'm kidding. Please don't. No, you're gonna tear off my paper. Whenever you're ready. <laughs> I don't let any of the uh, uh, PhD students come. Whenever the like PhD students come, they rip apart papers. Oh god, yeah. you guys are gonna <laughs> rip my paper apart. Uh -huh. So, but what was what we found was pretty much we, we were trying to see um, do a meta analysis on every paper that was written on mental stress causing physical injury, nice. and so they were looking at uh, different types of reasons behind that like if somebody's mentally stressed why could they lead to a physical injury uh and it was mostly looking at sporting events so they were talking a little bit about this cup analogy like how, yeah. how close you are to the edge and how that can be a predictor of injury from either a uh, like a biomechanical failure or B, like if you're playing a contact sport, you might not be as in tune with your peripheral vision, more tackles, so on and so forth. Point. Um, so anyways, uh, like I think if I were to consider how 
a mental health provider can help with uh like my my loading of the day and or just like how i work with the patient it's kind of how i still work with patients in general i still try to get a gauge every time i see them how are you feeling today like just trying to get an emotional gauge of like are we about to load this person heavy like even if they had like technically the four days off Mm -hmm. that like uh would let me load them heavy again Mm -hmm. uh it's not something that i'll always pursue if the mental uh like the emotional engagement isn't ready for it. Um, Yeah, and I also think about that in my own personal experience, like of like, I don't always push my workouts if I didn't get enough sleep the night before or if I just felt like I'm frustrated in some capacities. And that's what like Whoop is really, really going off of right now. Yeah. Like, is like how, how much stress have you endured? What does your sleep look like? What is your like recovery? And then like you can make your own judgment there on like, how much should I potentially stress my body today? Yeah. Um, and that's that that's almost that like same same thing there. There's that one uh, guy who's like a movement practitioner, Steve Maxwell. Have okay. you ever heard of him? I'm not. Ah man, I hope I even have his Sorry, name Steve. right. Yeah. But anyways, uh, so Steve is. Uh, I don't think he's a physio, but he's like a deep practitioner. He's a black belt in jiu-jitsu and uh, uh, a yoga teacher and like a practitioner of yeah. many things. And he's been preaching for the past like. 30 or I don't want to make up a number I was about to make up a huge number right now he's been preaching for a while about the importance of recovery and how every morning he does a test to find out how uh how good his nervous system is so he wakes up and he tries to tap his phone as many times as he can for 30 seconds and he has a correlate of like how much recovery he had depending on how quick his nervous system is able to tap and so he he talks he's been talking about that for a long time though Uh like before people have been talking about the whoop and all that like i I used to see this stuff like five ten years ago on his youtube saying every morning i wake up and it will tell me how hard i'm about to train today Mm -hmm. just depending on how equip my nervous system is and recovered and whether that metric is uh valuable or not reliable i'll say that um the idea is now really trending like how much recovery have you had and like how are the emotional stressors involved in that and that's a great way that we can actually right now start building a bridge in care which i appreciate you talking about yeah i I think i also just like really like that from the like standpoint i i'm someone who i love to get metrics or numbers on things if i can um to help tell me where someone's at um and so i I like when i can get an opportunity to be like okay how can i put a number on this um and i think that's one reason why i like acl testing why i like some research stuff while lifting kind of caught me at a like younger age like you can you can put a number on things um, and I think that, that, that that's pretty cool. Like, it's so crazy how like humans are so biologic, but yet we can somehow get data on a biological system. Like that is just fascinating still, still mm-hmm. to me. Um, and it's just, it's just, there's some very smart people in this world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll just say that. You know, we've been talking a lot about this holistic model. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to just bring it to another aspect of the holistic model. We, you keep, we've been bringing up load management uh i know you're super into olympic lifting i find it uh just real quick as a small segue kind of funny that like when people think of holistic care they kind of i imagine and this is my own assumptions i imagine they're usually thinking of yoga meditation nourishment so on so forth um but pretty rarely do people put holistic care and weightlifting in the same bucket (laughs) but i i can't tell you how much i love shattering that like, yeah. uh, I love getting yogis 
deadlifting yeah. heavy. I love getting deadlifters doing yoga. Like yeah. I just feel like there's such benefits on both ends. Um, and yeah, I think being a yoga teacher, a lot of people are surprised that like not all my patients are going to be doing uh, yoga every session. Sometimes we're getting in the grid of it. We're pushing sleds. We're Good. doing deadlifts. Um, and yeah, I guess uh, I'm wondering, what is your experience as far as like, how did you fall in love with Olympic weightlifting? And then how have you been getting to use it uh, yeah. with your patients? Absolutely. Um, I think just like ever since I can remember, what got me into movement was like resistance training. Um, running, sprinting, resistance training, being an athlete. And one of those kind of big blocks that we need for part of our foundations is like strength. Um, and there, hence I found strength training um, at a younger age. And that led me into kind of pursuing that exercise science, personal training, uh, get really getting into like fitness. Um, and then segueing later on into now PT and uh, kind of I'm a prehab and mobility coach um, at an Olympic lifting gym uh, nearby with, uh, with uh, Mario Dispenza um, and it's it's such a cool opportunity to be around people who get like and we kind of talk about like even like just when people can get into their flow happiness mm. you know where there's there's not anything else going on inside of their mind but that one activity then in there um and it's so cool to see people lifting huge amounts of weight but yet it's an, like an art form mm -hmm. it's such a powerful speedy strong burly movement but it's taught over and over and repetitive and like repetition just over and over and over again until it's 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 more of an art form um and it's it's really cool. It's like it's it's an Olympic lifting sport. It's an Olympic sport, um, and I think it's one of those detail oriented things again, mm -hmm. where it's like, and it's it was so funny because I've I've taken a ton of continuing education by now, and I took uh, my 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 USAW course, um, USA weightlifting, and we spent a whole weekend going over three lifts. Yeah, and two of the lifts are practically the same thing. Right. It's like, how do you dissect it that much? But that's how much that they're dissecting this. Right. Is that the clean, the clean and jerk, the snatch, they're, they're dissecting these movements and making it as efficient and almost like an art at the exact same, same time. And I think that's just, it's really awesome. Uh, it's really cool to like get to like work with, with some of these athletes and um, be able to kind of screen them uh, making sure that they have the proper mobility and stability requirements at like each each joints, um, it's 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 like really cool too to like be able to find our niche in that realm, or being able to kind of break out how much mobility you need at certain segments in order to get into these lifts too. Um, that that's pretty unique and like fascinating to me. Um, it's it's super fun to like find a place in a different realm, kind of like kind of like yoga, mm. um, or any like eclectic movement or anything that you do, like to find yeah. your your own piece or your own like kind of realm in there. Um, I, I think it's just really really fascinating. Yeah. Before we uh, like dive into that, I yeah. think um, I just want to define Olympic weightlifting yeah. a little bit. Um, 
mostly what I want to say is that weightlifting has a huge spectrum. We're mm-hmm. about to dive into Olympic weightlifting. Um, but for like people who are like I talked about this holistic model who are interested yeah. in strength training, right. it does not have to look like uh, wearing a no sleeve shirt with heavy weights. Uh, I get uh, Susie, who's like 76 at my clinic. She's deadlifting and it's heavy weight. But we built up to it. The culture is, can I give Susie the tools to stand up and feel excited that she can get up from the floor with strength? Exactly. And so I think like uh, as much as we're about to dive into Olympic weightlifting and maybe some of the performance and sport aspects of it, starting off with the base of building strength in your body is something that is universal. It will help your tendons it'll help uh ligament density it'll help your bone density, bone density. uh it just helps help with you live longer yeah i mean the, the the idea of strength training is too important in too many ways and so here we're going to dive into a little bit of olympic weightlifting but i just want to start off by saying please do some strength training yeah like it, it's really worth and, everyone's time yeah and i think kind of like it's 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 worth mentioning that like strength training can come in any single form if you're 90 years old and you can it's you can only get up off a couch one time, that's your one rep max. Mm-hmm. That's a form of strength training. Exactly. Um, it doesn't have to be pushing a barbell overhead. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't have to be putting a barbell on your back. Like There are so many ways that we can get resistance and strength training um, that it really is un- universal, um, I think. Um, um, exactly that. Why don't you go ahead and actually help us with a little bit of a definition of sure. Olympic weightlifting because sure. there's weightlifting, there's powerlifting, there's Olympic weightlifting. Absolutely. Maybe we can just like differentiate sure. a little yeah. bit. Uh, powerlifting and Olympic lifting, uh, they both have three main lifts in them. Uh, powerlifting is going to be uh, more of your bench press, squat, and deadlift. Um, and Olympic lifting is going to be the clean, the cleaning jerk, and the snatch. I'm going to real quick write down the Olympic ones again, man. Can you say that one more time? Absolutely. Um, the, the Olympic lifts are going to be the clean, the cleaning jerk, and the snatch. Um, those are all done with a barbell, um, and it's an Olympic-level sport um, that involves a pull portion, pulling that barbell up off the ground, a transition to where you're getting un- un- underneath it, and then that portion where you're catching, receiving, and then bringing it back up. Yeah. And it, for anybody who... Um like is interested in looking at these lifts there's a thousand videos on youtube mm-hmm. definitely check out oh, yeah, some tons. of this stuff because it is really powerful full body movements that people are training is that one of the things that's one of the things that excites me yeah. about olympic lifting is just how much neuromuscular training it takes like how much of the brain it takes to get good technique and then also how many muscles it's going to do instead of a bicep curl yeah it's probably one of the if not the most powerful form of weightlifting or lifting a barbell that we have um and power being that it's the most speedy um so you're producing the most force in that quickest amount of time especially some of that power clean and i love so much one I'm a detail-oriented person, so I like how there's so much detail in there. Um, but two, I like how much you can use it universally with different populations. Like I use, um, I, I I posted a, a video the other day of doing a landmine split jerk, which that jerk comes from that Olympic weightlifting. But using that or using that power clean for a mid to late stage ACL rehab patient, um, 
kind of more of a later stage shoulder rehab person might be a rotator cuff. Um, but finding ways to utilize some of these different techniques across multiple populations. Because um, it's not to say that only one population should be getting some of these lifts. Um, I think it can be spread out and used in different ways for the variables that it has, such as being powerful, producing force in a quick amount of time. Yeah, I, I did get to see that post and I remember thinking, wow, this is once again a lift that can help from so many angles. Like, yeah. I mean, you can help elbows, shoulders, yeah. knees, hips, ankles, ankles yeah. with just one movement Spine. practice. <laughs> like, yeah. You can really use it with anyone because it's, it's such a full body movement that requires mobility and stability requirements at certain joints. Um, that you can that you can have a wide intended intended purpose for it um, yeah. and i think that's that's just part of it like and i think that's something that i love this podcast for is that having a bigger box or a bigger toolkit from a movement variability standpoint allows you to be able to flow through different movements and being able to be more robust in your system um, meaning that the mobility requirements may be from a downward dog, but then the power from a cleaning jerk. Um, I think it's just really cool to have <laughs> a lot of different tools and variability within some of your training that'll allow um, you to just be a more robust person. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. If anybody's watching this on video, this is my kitty <laughs> Aaliyah. She loves just Hi, jumping Aaliyah. in on the podcast. Uh, and she's just on Marquise's lap. So, I mean, like, <laughs> if anybody ever gets to get on this podcast, you'll get to Petalia. Um, yeah, and I like what you said about movement variability. So, I um, try to Olympic weightlift yeah. like once every two weeks in my strength training. Nice. Um, and coming from a lot of the training I do, like getting the chance to train in handstands or handstand push-ups or so on and so forth, all the, all this work is so much closed uh, chain stability, uh, closed kinetic chain. And what I mean by that for anyone who doesn't know what closed kinetic chain means is what I mean is like the stability is coming from my hands on the ground and my body moving around my hands. But then there's open kinetic chain where my feet are on the ground and my hands are trying to stabilize like a dumbbell or a barbell. And I'll say that like, there's there's definitely carryover, but it's it's not fully there. Like I, I need to train open chain stability yeah. in order to get better at open chain stability. So that's right. why I've been picking up the barbell, doing a little bit of Olympic weightlifting. Uh, so you were talking about it from the other way around from those who are Olympic weightlifters, why it would be beneficial for them to start doing like maybe down dogs to open up the shoulder or uh, hamstrings or what, whatever yeah. other mo motions there are. Yeah, and like I, I love being able to like use different forms of movement with different populations. So mm. like my Olympic Olympic lifting people, um, bringing, bringing them into like doing like median nerve glides for people who have like trouble with, with a snatch which looks like that like median nerve tension position. Mm. Um, so being able to like bring a PT portion, but then also to um, being able to like bring like a, like a down dog or it's like a child's pose for someone who's having trouble in just that deep hip flexion at some of the bottom of, of like some of their clean, but using different movement techniques or different languages almost of movement for different populations. I think that there's like no one size fits all method for some of this movement. Um, we all have like different camps and different interests and stuff, but I feel like the more that you know, 
um, the more that you can help a larger population of people. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Because all everybody has their favorites and movements and kind of catering to their favorite and giving them some other counters that can help open up their dictionary. Absolutely. Are there like ever like populations that you feel should not be Olympic weightlifting? Like for <laughs> me, I consider Olympic weightlifting a more advanced practice. Like yeah. if somebody's coming into weightlifting, I normally would start them on a squat program, yeah. a deadlift program. Yeah. Like uh, those are the the ba- the foundation steps I would build first. Yeah. Do you ever feel like somebody needs that background before they're allowed to Olympic weightlift or can they kind of I think it all boils down or not all but mostly boils down to like training age. Mm. Um so like what type of movement background that they have? Do I have someone who's never touched a barbell before? <laughs> they're going to come and try and do uh, power clean. It's not going to be as uh, pretty from a nervous system wise. Um, but but I think that like still like trying to reduce the amount of barriers that we have in the fitness industry to doing some of these movements um, is always going to be beneficial. Um, so not putting too much kind of pressure on what the movement looks like right away because we'll get into that. Um, that takes a lot of time. Um, but at least making sure that they have the prerequisite strength, they have the prerequisite co- coordination and mobility for some of these lifts. Um, and I think training age is really, really huge, huge for that. Um, but I am going to try to get as many people as I can, especially if that's something that excites them. I want people to be doing things that make them happy and that excite them, you know? Yeah, I like what you said about reducing the, like, uh, the barriers the barriers exactly reducing the barriers yeah. for training strength because I think that's like like I, I uh, personal train some people like online and in person and uh, one of my clients actually reached out to me because I built her a program she's been over the pandemic training under me so it's all at home programs it's mostly calisthenics yeah. and so I'm building her these programs to get like her mobility her strength her balance and uh, we finally she's like hey I'm willing to head to the gym I get so excited because it's very hard honestly to load the legs appropriately through calisthenics like like it can happen to an extent but even pistol squats get old and you need some weighting to like get your 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 strength in your legs like the upper body you can kind of stay in the calisthenics realm for a long time mm-hmm. um, but the lower body it's really helpful to have weight lifting around mm-hmm. and um I ask her, you know, like, okay, are you ready to weightlift? She's like, yeah, I build in some uh, hinge work, some squat work uh, in her programming. And uh, she has this experience where she goes to the gym and she uh, finds it's a huge barrier, the social pressure of being Mm. in a gym. And she said, I want to go back home and do calisthenics. And that's fine. And I, I I really understand that. Um, especially because I'm not there in person to help reduce that right. barrier. Yeah. So it's like just working with the individual where they're at and maybe slowly uh, incorporating that. Um, but there are a lot of barriers to strength training. There's a lot of people that they, they would love. Like if I explain to them, would you want to feel strong in your body in such a way that you have longevity in your life? Most people would say yes, but they, they feel like it's tough to enter a gym I know that's not one of our main topics, but like, right. could you speak on like maybe some of that, like uh, like some of these barriers to strength, and how could you, how could somebody find themselves feeling confident to go to a gym? I think it's a uh, that, of course, a multifactorial issue. <laughs> yeah. As all is. Um. No, but yeah, I think that that's a real reality, and I almost 
also think that us in the fitness industry sometimes put up some of those walls and some of those barriers. Um, if you kind of look online and you kind of see, oh, there, here's this squat and here's a big red X on it because, oh, God. because, because that's not right. And you're doing a butt wink uh, where you're kind of posteriorly pelvic tilting. And, you know, that's just going to be horrible for your spine. And I think we have sometimes uninformed individuals who are, well, maybe they are, they're not acting in a way that they think that they're not actually causing a barrier but we definitely are um and so i i think it's 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 definitely a confidence thing um but i think when you when you start unlocking people's movement patterns like showing them what a squat and a hinge and overhead press and horizontal and vertical pulling like when you start unlocking some of these different movement patterns you like give them different options that they can use then in some of that gym space um, but there's definitely a, a kind of like confidence thing to it. Um, and sometimes like if it's fits your like first time and you don't really know what you're doing too much, sometimes having those instructions by some of the machines or even trying to bring in someone with you um, who can kind of guide you through it, who is knowledgeable in some of this stuff, um, I think is always very, very helpful. Um, I don't know if I completely answered your question. There. You did. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to keep saying the same thing. It's like dating. <laughs> you got to find the right gym for you. Because um, I'll tell you this. I actually really struggle to go to any gym. And it's a funny rule I made at this point. Are you going to say dating nor? Sorry. No, no, no. I, yeah. I, and it might work with dating. But well, I'll say I, I struggle with any gym that makes me wear shoes. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. As yeah. soon as a gym says, like, you have to wear shoes here. It's such a turnoff. And Must maybe that's also in my fitness. dating life, too. Like, as soon <laughs> as they're like... Shoes, <laughs> As soon as I go on a date, they're like, Noor, why are you we're barefoot? I'm like, we're not going to work out. This isn't going to work out. Yeah. You need to be really cool with me being at this restaurant barefoot right now. I'm like, okay, I could understand the whole barefoot thing, but you have no shirt on, Noor. <laughs> it's a first date. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I hear it, Marquise. Um, honestly, man, I have a lot more questions, um, but we've covered a lot, like, yeah. from one, like, the importance of one-on-one -on -one PT care, uh, where does pain science work, one as a PT, but also as a patient, yeah. uh, and how it, you can kind of have this bias when you learn new things. I took a lot of notes on some of the things you told me right now, and you better believe Weekend Warrior <laughs> Wendy is no longer getting paid. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> no longer getting paid size. I just bias myself the other way. Love me some Weekend Warrior Wendy. She is, she is awesome. Uh, so, yeah, I think... Um, we got to cover a lot and then kind of jump into uh, powerlifting as well. Um, I do another time. I wish we had the time to wanted to talk about ACL rehab uh, and some of the things topic. about it. I know and it's a big one, so I, I, I think we can dive into it yeah. another time. Absolutely. Um, are there other things that like have been on your mind through some of these topics that you wish you could have had some time to talk about? Um. No, man, I, I think that, that, that this was a very kind of in-depth view on some of that stuff. Um, I think if I were to say anything, it's like, just go do it. Just go practice it. Just go be it. Um, the, the glass is always half full, and it's, it's just awesome that there's always more to learn. Um, I think we could spend our whole lives trying to learn <laughs> everything, even in our own profession, um, and we wouldn't barely probably touch half it, um, yeah. which is cool. 
you mentioned a couple platforms that you're on, like yeah. places you're coaching, places you're training. Do you yeah. mind just quick drop in Absolutely. some of those? Absolutely. Um, I am on Instagram, um, msanabrice.dpt. Um, of course, we work at FX. Um, I'm on Twitter. I don't really use Twitter too much. I don't know if you're big into the like Twitter games. No, dude. Great on some research and stuff, and always for those hot, hot hits. Um, but uh, I'm I'm on there too. I'm sanabrice.dpt. Um, if you guys need to find me. Um, that's kind of where I'm probably most active on. Um, yeah. If not, I coach at uh, OSS uh, Weightlifting Gym um, in uh, Catonsville. And then I run the Baltimore Journal Club. If ever anyone, we take out new people, whether you're in the musculoskeletal healthcare industry or not, um, the Baltimore Journal Club welcomes all and everyone's uh, unique perspectives. Yeah, and you're at FX Physical Therapy. And I'm at FX Physical Therapy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we got to give the shout out. Job. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, so uh, shout out to FX for providing one-on-one care. Absolutely. Uh, this has um, been a dope podcast, Marquise, in so many ways, and I hope we can keep it going. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Marquise. Yeah, man, thanks for having me on. It was a real, real pleasure. <laughs> cool, man. Appreciate you.